Well, it's good to be with you this morning. And you might say, well, how come you're using that chair again? When I made that misstep with the gluten-free, that sort of explains everything, doesn't it? (laughs) This morning, what we're going to try to do is actually look at two words. And actually, they're words that are found in the book of Philemon and Colossians. They're right before you, beloved and servant. They're two important words, but oftentimes they are never thought of or, or you really think through deeply. I don't know how many of you fly on a regular basis, but you know, I remember as you get in, and we as missionaries, we flew back and forth, and so we were on planes pretty often. And you know, after you sit down on the plane, get your seat, then the stewardess has to come along, and she's got to give her spiel, right? I mean, she has to talk about your seatbelt, then she has to talk about the mask that drops down, she has to talk about the floating device, she has to talk about if you're sitting in the aisle seat, can you do the what is asked of you? And after you have been through that, for a number of times, let me ask you, how many people are mentally engaged as she gives her spiel? Not too many. I mean, I think for courtesy's sake, we sit and, at least I try to do this, I try to pay attention, at least look at her when she's going through that, but as far as being mentally engaged, after you've heard it so many times, you know, you really can hardly do that. Sad to say, That's how a lot of people read the Bible. They've read things and they've heard it before and then they are not mentally engaged in what they're reading. Isn't that true? And, you know, especially when you you get to the words in the introduction of a letter and when you get to the conclusion, by the time you get there, you're almost out. You're not concentrating at all on the words that are right before you. They almost become meaningless. And actually what we need to do is pay attention to the words that God gave to these writers because every one of them is important. And so that's what I would like to look at this morning, these two words. So let's just ask the Lord to guide and direct as we think about these words. Father, thank you so much for a chance to look at your word. Father, we have a copies of your word here in our house on our phone they should be treasured and so father i pray that as we look at your word we would honor it and you would teach us this morning in jesus name amen now as we look at these two words let me just go through and uh, try to give you a definition beloved is agapetos you can see agape in there It is used 62 times in the New Testament and oftentimes in the Pauline epistles, in the prison epistles, it's used quite often. So oftentimes when we read it, we just glance right over it. But we're going to look a little bit deeper at these words as well. And then you have the word slave, which is translated from the Greek doulos, Now, it's interesting in this word, when you talk about serving, there are a number of Greek words that are used and translated serve. 
But in the noun form, again, it's used 120 times in the New Testament. And many times in your translation, and mine as well, it simply puts the word servant there. But actually, many times, in fact, I would say three quarters of the times when you run into that word, and if it's doulos, it should be translated bond slave. That's how it should be translated. And in some of your translations, it does read that, and that's a good translation. You say, what's the difference between simply a servant and a bond slave? A servant is someone who can simply serve another individual, but not belong to the person that he's serving. The bond slave is a person that serves, but he actually is a bond slave because he belongs to his master. That's the difference. And the most common word in the New Testament is actually bond slave. That becomes important as we'll see as we walk through and understand these words. So those are the two words we're going to study, beloved and bond slave. Now, we're going to mainly look at them in the prison epistles. That's these four letters. In fact, we're going to focus in pretty much on Colossae and, and Philemon as we look at these two words to see how they're used. And just again, to give you a historical setting of, of these two letters, we need to remember as, as we go through that um, the, as Paul's third missionary journey, he preached in Ephesus at 55 AD, and he was in Rome at 62 AD. So, well, why is that important? Because as you look at these letters, he established a church at Ephesus, and when he established a church at Ephesus, you can see it off to the, to the well, it's to the left side, Ephesus, and it, when he was there, he stayed there for two years preaching. And a lot of the surrounding cities sent people to Ephesus to hear the words, and then they came back to their own city. Now, you can see the city of Colossae off to the other side. It's about a 100-mile trip. And so people from Colossae, Epaphras and Philemon, traveled to Ephesus to hear Paul preach, and they became believers, and they took the word back to Colossae. And that took place around 55 AD. Then there were a number of other things that took place in Paul's life that actually placed him in Rome. Now, I don't know if you can see it. Maybe you need an eye test. But Rome is all the way over there in Italy. You can see the boot. And Ephesus is over on this other side in the continent. So that is over a thousand mile trip. So what happened was is that Paul and his activities ended up in Rome about seven years after he was in Ephesus. And something else happened, and it's just part of the story of Colossae, one of Philemon, who was one of the people in the church at Colossae, had a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus, a bond slave, stole things from his master Philemon and took off. He ran. He could have been put to death for that, but he took off and he ended up in Rome. We do not know how 
it happened, but he ran into Paul at Rome and he trusted Christ as his savior. He was converted. His life was changed in Rome. Then Paul is going to send a letter back to the city of Colossae and he sends Tychicus and he sends Onesimus with those two letters, Philemon and Colossians, back to the church there. That's the history of that letter, just quickly. Now, as we look at um, how he used these words, now I want you to pay attention as you go through, because now I'd like to focus a little bit more on these words. Now, here is Philemon, verse 1. Notice, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was in Rome. Notice he's not a prisoner of Rome in his mind, but of Christ Jesus. And Timothy, the brother, I'm sorry, and Timothy to the brother to Philemon, the beloved one. Now I translated that a little bit different because the idea here is it just says beloved friend. But actually the construction in the Greek is important. It says to Philemon, and then it gives the article, and then it uses the word that we looked at that comes from agape. He says, Philemon, the beloved one. Now, you may just read that and skip past it, but I'm telling you the word has a powerful meaning. The other week, the Epics group, we played musical bingo. And you say, what in the world is musical bingo? Well, it's when you have a group of people play, you have a bingo cards in front of you. One has the author of the song, the other the song, and you start to play songs of yesteryear. And we're talking yesteryear. So they would play songs in the 50s, in the 60s. And you know what happened as they played those songs? What happened was numbers of people there started to sing the words. So what's going on? Well, the songs have meaning. The songs take you back to that time in your life. And what happens to me, and I'm sure many others, you start to think about the friends that you had back then, the things that you did. The songs just bring you back. They carry great meaning. And I think that happens with every person. Now, words can do the very same thing, and you have to think through what's going on here. This is the Apostle Paul. He is writing to Philemon, who he met in Ephesus, but as he writes, it's not just to Philemon. Then he uses the article, and then this noun, the beloved. He says, Philemon, the beloved one. If you were Philemon, would that carry any weight with you? Because Paul, it does carry weight with Paul. Now think about who Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee before he was converted. Were Pharisees known for their love of people? Pharisees were religious leaders that prided themselves in their knowledge and in their practice. And as they looked at the people that they ministered to, they looked sort of down on them. I'm not saying every Pharisee, but this is pretty typical when you see in the gospel accounts the Pharisee and the tax collector, when they look at Jesus and they say, oh Jesus, you didn't go to the schools that we went to, so you can't be that intelligent. That's the mindset of a Pharisee. 
He was proud. They did not look to minister to people. They did not look at them with terms of endearment. That was not who they were. That's who Paul was. And you have to say, well, what happened to Paul? Why would Paul use a word like this? What came to the mind of Paul when he wrote this word, Philemon, the beloved one? You almost think, wow, I think Paul is a different person now if he uses that word. What went through Paul's mind? Probably many things. Maybe his trip on the road to Damascus when Jesus set him apart. And now he sensed the deep love of Christ for him. And all of the other experiences as you go through. You could just note so many experiences that, that Paul went through. He went through naturally as, as, as he went as he thought about it, I'm sure. Many of the stories of conversions that he watched. The Philippian jailer, Lydia... All of them, he watched God change lives. And he sensed that God had a very deep, deep love for him personally. He received revelations from God himself. He was humbled because of that. Paul knew that God loved him dearly. And now, as he ministered to people, he in turn took that love that was given to him, and now he is loving others. So when Paul writes down Philemon, the beloved one, I almost sense that, I don't think Paul wrote this letter quickly. Paul, Philemon, the beloved one, and ran. I think he paused. He thought about what he was writing. Philemon, I remember when I met you. You are beloved. That's a neat experience and a neat word, and it would have meant a great deal to Philemon, wouldn't it? And now, not only does that, notice what he goes on. Philemon, the beloved one, and our fellow worker, and to Aphia. Notice he uses the word again. The beloved one. We're not sure, but there's a good chance that Aphia could be Philemon's wife. So he not only thinks about Philemon, but he thinks about Aphia as well, and he uses the same words. And again, I think there's so many memories that flood into his mind as he begins this letter. He's thinking. It's a powerful word to be beloved by Paul and maybe more even to be beloved by God himself. And he's trying to convey that very meaning. It's a meaningful letter. Now as you go on, notice it talks about this slave, which is a reference to Onesimus, a bond slave who was Philemon's slave and after he's converted he says no longer a slave but more than a slave notice he uses the word again a beloved brother what a change in the life of of the apostle Paul as as he goes through that and uh, and it goes on as you look at his writings in Colossians now then he writes on Another, as you've learned from Epaphras, notice what he says, 
the beloved, now this is interesting, the beloved fellow slave. So something's going on here as he writes, and I want you to see why these two words go together because they don't often, but in this verse they do. Epaphras, who brought the gospel to Colossae, he calls him a, the beloved just like we said. So this guy is, is dearly beloved by Paul. But then he says, a fellow slave. So by using the word fellow, what is Paul trying to say? He looks at himself as a, a slave. A bond slave. Now we'll bring that together as we go through the message. But those words are important. Apophorus is both beloved and a slave. Tychicus, who also carried the letter, notice the beloved brother, faithful minister, and again, fellow slave, bond slave. Here's another verse. With Onesimus, the faithful one, and the beloved brother. And just notice how often he's writing. These are not empty words with Paul. Very meaningful. Then he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ, greets you. And then even Luke, who's used that, the, the final part, Luke, the physician, the beloved one. Do you sense the heart of Paul as he writes to these people? Would you like to have been around Paul and one of his friends and have him write a letter like this to you? I would have. I would have loved to receive a letter like this. But notice how he uses the word beloved. Now, as, as you look at, at this, this is John MacArthur talking about the word. John MacArthur explains that agape love is the greatest virtue of the Christian life. Yet that type of love was rare in the pagan Greek culture, that's because the traits agape portrays, unselfishness, self-giving, willful devotion, concern for the welfare of others, were mostly disdained in the ancient Greek culture as signs of weakness. What's going on is the word agape was not used often in the Greek culture because it wasn't something that was looked up to. The New Testament is where you find this word often and it conveys all of these things that were not cherished by the Greek culture. However, the New Testament declares agape to be the character trait around which others revolve. The Apostle John writes, God is love and the one who abides in love abides in, Christ, in God and God abides in him. That comes from John MacArthur's um, as you go through that. Let me see here. Now, just a quick prayer. As This is Paul praying for the church at Ephesus as he sent the letter to Ephesus. Now, this is a powerful lesson talking about this aspect of love that Paul is using in his writings. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, now Paul is praying, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man for several reasons. One, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you understand what he's praying for? He's praying that these believers would have enough strength to even comprehend the love of God, which says to me, on a natural level, we can't comprehend it. We need the strength of the Spirit of God to really understand the love of God, the depth of God. And Paul is praying, I want that for the Ephesian believers. But as you look at the writings that he's writing to Colossae and to Philemon, to the Colossians, you see he's trying to transmit that very thing. You are beloved. That's what he's trying to communicate. So it's not by accident that he uses the words that he does. He wants this people living in a hostile world to God and to Christ that they would know that God loved them dearly. That's what he wanted to communicate. And he prayed for them that they would understand that because on a natural level, they cannot So don't think we understand the depth of God just by reading a few verses. We need the power of the Spirit of God and to be strengthened by God in order to even comprehend the dimensions of the love of God. Paul did. Notice in this prayer, he doesn't say at the beginning that he grants riches that he may grant you. Why didn't he put down we that he would grant us? Several reasons there, but one of them, I think Paul himself experienced this deep love and he was praying for these people to experience it as well. So it is, it, it's a great, great prayer that, that he prays. Now there's another Old Testament, I love reading this. This is to Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel receives a letter from God through angels, but it says, at the beginning of your Please, for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. You are greatly loved. This happens three times in Daniel's letters. And he said, oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. And then another time, and he said, oh, man, greatly loved, fear not. So as you look at this, again, the letters that we're looking at, when he uses that word beloved fellow worker or or whatever, as we go through these letters, you sense the depth that is there that's being expressed by Paul. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I can tell you that you're loved. For God so loved the world. And I pray that it would draw you to the person of Christ and you would accept that. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, I can say to you that you are dearly loved by God. That's a great thing, folks. That is a great thing. Now, as we go to the second word, 
Now you say, well, how in the word does doulos fit with that? It does, and remember, it's used in the same verse on several occasions. Now, how does this work? Now, again, I want you to understand the word doulos in the culture. Notice what it says. This is in the Greek culture. Doulos be- belonged by nature not to, it, to himself, a doulos or a slave, but to someone else. A bond slave belonged to somebody else. Because this is the verb form, dulao, involve the ab- abrogation or denying of one's own anatomy and the subordination of one's will to that of another. That makes sense. If you were a slave, you were not your own. You belonged to someone else. Let me just see. The Greek felt only revulsion and contempt for the position of a slave. The life of a slave was one of unrelieved compulsory labor and service in the household and in public works. The Greeks despised this position. And I think I missed one. Okay, no, we got that. Okay, so what is a slave? Slavery in the Roman Empire. Not based on race. Conquered nation or foreigners made up slaves. Sailors and others captured and sold by pirates. Children sold by impoverished families when you didn't have enough. Exposure, unwanted children left outside, exposed to nature. Some were born into slavery. As you go on, it talks about they were considered property of owners, not people. Not people, property. That's what a bond slave was. There were slaves in every walk of life. Harsh environments, mines, galleys, rowers, household workers, cooks and tutors, professionals in the business world, some of whom even owned their own slaves. Celebrity saves like gladiators, all of that made up the slave world. And slaves worked everywhere. And it talks about it there. It says at one point at the end, at one point the Senate wanted slaves to wear clothing that would distinguish them as slaves and then they thought better of it since the slaves might realize their great numbers and cause an uprising. They say that as much as one-third of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. That's a doulos. That's a slave. Now you say, well, how would these go together? Look at Paul's introduction of himself. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, That's doulos. Do you see what he's doing there? Paul, his prized name. Notice, he's an apostle. He says that secondly. Paul. He could have said Paul, a great apostle of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't. He says Paul, a bond slave, called to be an apostle. His highest classification in his own mind. I'm a bond slave. He celebrated that. 
That's amazing to me as you look at it. In the Old Testament, maybe he was thinking of this story, but when a slave enjoyed his master, notice, but the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out free. Then his master brought him to God and Notice what takes place. He shall bring him to the door of a doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an owl and he shall be his slave forever. I think that's what Paul was envisioning. And it's interesting to me. Here's a man that instead of proclaiming and grabbing at freedom in God's program... He said, the greatest thing I can do is be a bond slave. That's the response. And and it's so strong to me because he loved his master. He felt so loved that he wanted to simply be attached to Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ bond slave. Nothing more. So... I have to ask us, is that what you want? Is that what the American culture stands for? Is that what they want? It's just the opposite. But don't we have a Savior that loves us so dearly that we would consider it a privilege to be his bond slave? Wouldn't we? Do we understand what redemption is? Because this is exactly the way Paul, that's why Paul would look at these other men that were serving with them and he would say, they're my fellow bond slaves. So if you lived at the time of Paul, is that the category you want to place yourself in? And I I hope it is. Because actually the greatest joy the greatest fulfillment in life will come if you're a bond slave of Jesus Christ. In fact, many of you are so familiar with these verses, but they really sort of clarify what Paul is saying. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this culture, to our culture that prizes autonomy above all else. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does it say about Jesus Christ? He made himself, Philippians 2, another one of these letters, he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond slave. That's the word. Paul did it because his master did it. And I think to us, the appeal to us should be the same. We should get up in the morning 
and say, oh Lord, this morning, I'd like to be your bond slave. And you might say, well, how do I know what the Lord wants me to do? That's where this book comes in. And I would challenge you to read Paul's letters, instructions to husbands, to wives, to children, to bond slaves, to masters. They're all in here. You could read the book of Colossians itself and it gives you instructions on what you're supposed to do. That's what a bond slave is supposed to do. Follow the instructions of his master. He does not belong to himself. And if you study the New Testament, you do not belong to yourself either. You've been purchased. Praise God. He's going to set up a great kingdom of all of his bond slaves and they're going to celebrate. And I will say, you know, well, how does this work itself out in real life? <laughs> Where are the real examples of this? And, you know, I, I know most of the pastors in the Engage Network and I enjoy, and I would say every one of them to me is an example of this. Do they have enjoyable times in life? Yeah. Do they enjoy their families? Do they enjoy good things of life? Yes, yes, yes. But I think if you would watch their everyday schedule, they're totally slaves, bond slaves to Christ and to the church, and they love doing it. And I know some of you actually are pictures of this as well. And I say, pursue it with all of your heart. We're bond slaves. Why do we want to be bond slaves? Because we are beloved deeply by God. It's a privilege to be a bond slave. And I pray that we would cherish that position every day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person as they listen to these two words, beloved, I pray that every believer would sense the deep love that you have for them. And then bond slave, Father, I pray that in response to that deep love, you would give us the privilege of being your bond slave. We could not have a better master than you. Thank you for your deep love for us and the privilege of serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.